on last week's Let's Get Real podcast, we talked about the person of Jesus Christ and how he's fully God and fully man in relation to the Trinity and why the Trinity is a biblical doctrine. Now, remember that the Bible does not prescribe the Trinity, but it describes the Trinity. On this week's podcast, we're going to deal with the Holy Spirit and what the Bible has to say about the Holy Spirit being fully God. And I'll rehash everything as far as what we talked about a little bit with regards to the persons of the Trinity. My name is Rob Lundberg, and you are listening to the Let's Get Real podcast. Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg. Last week, we spoke about the whole idea of the Trinity. Now, I wanted to, to remind you that the Trinity is a historical Christian doctrine. And what we did last week, we dealt with the whole idea of how popular cults deal with the Trinity and call in the Holy Spirit a force or an it. Now, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is personal. He is a person of the three-person Godhead of the Trinity. Now, let me go and basically tell you that Christians believe in one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, what I mean by this is the fact that each persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are co-equal in essence and in nature as the Athanasian Creed puts forth. Now, here's the thing. A lot of cults today, what they do is they make the Holy Spirit impersonal or a force or some kind of a woo-woo-woo type essence to where the Holy Spirit is not personal, therefore he's if he's not personal, he's more or less, number one, leading you or guiding you like a cosmic chess piece to where you're nothing more than a moist robot, or, or there's no relationship whatsoever. But see, the church has always believed that the Holy Spirit is relational. And the fact that if you are a professing Christian and you reject the Holy Spirit, I'm going to go and basically go out on a limb here and say, chances are you have not understood Christianity, and chances are you are not uh, what we call redeemed. Now, with regards to the Holy Spirit, I want to deal with this, and then I just want to let you know I've been thinking about this during the week. Because there's a lot of, uh, uh, let's, I guess you could say a lot of attacks on the Trinity by Muslims, I may do something next week. We may move forward and deal with another issue. I don't know. I'm just going to rely on what the Lord, how the Lord leads us with regards to this. But let me just give you an idea about the Holy Spirit as far as what the Bible teaches. Now, the Bible is a reliable collection of 66 books. They're a reliable collection uh, of historical documents written by some 40 writers, three different continents, Asia, Europe, and Africa, and three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. 
And over the span of the 1500 years, the Bible was completed well before the end of the first century. Yes, I am an early guy. I believe Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were completed before AD 70. And I can give you a defense of that. And I know it's not, uh, for some evangelicals, that's not a a popular uh, view about John being before AD 70, but I can defend that nevertheless. Now, with regards to the Holy Spirit, Okay, well, we're talking about a personal being here. And by the way, let me just remind us that the, the Trinity is not 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 3, as Muslims would want to go and say. It's 1 times 1 times 1 equals 1. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father, but all three are one God. So basically, when you look at the Trinity, just by way of review, The who of the persons is what? God. So the Father, who, is what? God. The Son is who, what is God. And then the Holy Spirit is a who as well. So it's not a matter of who are you by the who, as much as it is you're dealing with three personal beings. And the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is fully God. He is eternal omniscient, meaning all-knowing, omnipresent, meaning all-present, and has a will, and the Holy Spirit also can speak. We see this also in uh, the book of Acts, which we'll, we'll deal with this a little bit later. He is not dead, but he is alive. He is a person. He is not particularly visible in the Bible because his ministry is to bear witness of Jesus Christ, and that is referenced in John chapter 15, verse 26. Now, some cults, as I mentioned earlier, like the Jehovah's Witnesses say that the Holy Spirit is nothing more than a force, and that's found in their Reasoning from Scriptures, 1985, pages 406 and 407, which I have that little brown crutch, by the way. But see, folks, this is false. It's false because the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit were merely a force, then he could not speak as he speaks in Acts 13, verse 2. He could not be grieved, as Paul says in Ephesians 4.30. And he could not have a will, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11. Now, the truth is that the Holy Spirit is a person the same as the Father, as the Son, and are within the Trinity. His, we have his names, he has attributes, and, and actually the, the, the symbols of sins against the power in Christ's life, okay? Um, the, the whole idea, the fact is that he is God. We find this in the account of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter Five verses 3 and 4, that they did not lie to, Peter, to man, they lied to God when referring to lying to the Holy Spirit. Um, his symbol, we see a lot of uh, being a member of, uh, of a Calvary Chapel here in Fredericksburg. Um, you see a lot of symbols of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is very popular in a lot of Calvary Chapel churches. A Calvary Chapel fellowships, you see the dove. And so he's symbolized by the dove. 
Um, can he be blasphemed? Yes. Jesus talks about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in Matthew chapter 12, verse 31. And Mary was actually was overshadowed or she was conceived. Uh, she conceived through the... She conceived... We've got to be careful here. She conceived Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Almost got the cart before the horse here. He is also called Lord. In First Corinthians, Second uh, Corinthians, chapter uh, three, verse eighteen, he's omnipotent, meaning he's all powerful. That's in Luke chapter one, verse thirty-five. Another symbol that we see in uh, John chapter three where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, the wind blows where it may. And he's symbolized by the wind, those who are born of the Spirit. You know, um, I don't have my Bible out. I probably should do that. Let me go and find that for us while we're going. But, you know, when you talk about symbols, symbols actually can be substance as far as uh, the fact to go and paint the picture of what something or who someone, in this case the Holy Spirit, is. Let me go to John chapter 3, and it's Luke, John chapter 2, verse 16. No, we don't want to go there. We want to go to John chapter 3 and verse 8. Let's see here. Um, Okay, and it says, verse 8, He says, Jesus told Nicodemus, the wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. And then he says this, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So he's making a comparison here that the Holy Spirit is like uh, symbolized by the wind, if you will. The Holy Spirit also is holy. He is also omnipresent. We talk about this as far as in Psalm chapter 139, verses 7 through 10, where David says, where can I go from your presence? I can't, you, you, when I go here, you're here. When I go there, when I'm in the bowels of hell, I'm, you're there. You know, when you talk about God, one of the major attributes of God are the four omnis omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. But I'll bring in another one, omnibenevolent. The Holy Spirit acts as a gentle spirit wooing and drawing, and drawing you if you are searching for Jesus. He will woo you and draw you, and gently like the hound of heaven, as an old theologian would say, nipping at the heels drawing you and bringing you to faith in Jesus Christ. See, if you profess to be a Christian, it's not by mental assent. It can't be. What it is, though, it is the drawing and the wooing and the convicting and the loving and the, the, the leading you through evidence and through Scripture to bring you to a working faith and faith relationship with the God who created you through the power of the Holy Spirit with the risen Jesus. And see, that's how it works. Now, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent, and he's also, at at Pentecost, we saw that the tongues of fire came down from heaven at Pentecost as the the twelve up in the room, upper room and others, uh, were lit upon by the Holy Spirit through tongues of fire. You can read about that in Acts chapter 2. He can be insulted. 
And the writer of Hebrews chapter 10 verse 29 tells us this. And Jesus was led, or as it says in the original language of the Greek, he was driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. That's in Luke chapter 4. He's called the Spirit of God. He has a will, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. He can be lied to, as I just mentioned to you. Uh, he can also be not just be resisted, but he can be lied to. And we can be filled by the power or with the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 4 uh, verse 14 and 18 shows Jesus being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He's also called the Spirit of Truth in John chapter 15, verse 26. The Holy Spirit loves, Romans, 5, Romans 15, 30. He can be grieved, Ephesians 4, 30. And he is also, in the life of the believer, he is the witness of Jesus in the life of the believer whenever we are challenged or uh, come under some difficult time, the Holy Spirit will be a witness of Jesus and Jesus in our life. And that's depicted and shown in John chapter 15, verse 26. He is also called the eternal spirit. Why is he eternal? Because he's God. He's fully God, just like the other persons of the Trinity. And we see about, we see this in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. The Holy Spirit speaks in Acts 13, verse 2, as he spoke to the apostle Paul. He can be quenched as it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, and he, he's the spirit of power when he raised Jesus from the dead. In Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us in verse 11 that Jesus was raised in the, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, all three persons are God. When we talk about the works of the Holy Spirit, he can um, be accessed, he's the access to God, Ephesians 2.18. He inspires prayer in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, and Jude, verse 20. He anoints for service in Luke 4, verse 18. He intercedes on behalf of the believer in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. He provides us assurance in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16, and Galatians 4, verse 6. And he also interprets Scripture. Now let me talk about this for just a second. I'm going to chase a rabbit here, and I'm going to, I'm going to kill it and eat it. A lot of times people will say that the Spirit led them to go and interpret a passage that is not in line with the analogy of Scripture. What I mean by analogy of Scripture, folks, is I mean that Scripture interprets Scripture. And a lot of times some folks will go and they'll give you a harebrained interpretation application that is totally based on their own presuppositionalism. And what we talk, we hear about, we hear about these uh, interpretations and, and applications through folks in the prosperity gospel and those who hold to a lazy hermeneutic. Uh, I call it lazy Jesus or narcissist Jesus, where they try and read the, themselves into the text. Folks, that is not what this is talking about. He interprets Scripture on a tough passage. He will lead you to search the Scriptures to go and find other Scriptures that will support. And if your presupposition or your doctrine, does, uh, your newfound doctrine does not come in line with the rest of Scripture, you need to throw that doctrine out and get in line with Scripture. Okay? Plain and simple. Now, um, he also is the author of Scripture. You know, when we read about this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 to 21, men were moved by the Holy Spirit as they spoke from God. He also leads, Romans chapter 8, 14. He also baptizes. Now, 
there are some understandings about baptism and filling that I can do in another passage, but I can give you my understanding just a short synopsis. We are baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. There is only one faith, one Lord, one baptism. But there are multiple fillings that people will call baptism of the Holy Spirit or baptism by the Holy Spirit. It's a matter of semantics, but there are multiple fillings, and then God can go and do what he did in the first century uh, that he did in the early church. He can do today. Why? Because he's God. You know, if we can go and say that some things ended, you know, you're going to have to test it with Scripture. Paul tells us to test all things. But we need to be very careful when we talk about things like this, okay? He baptizes in John chapter 1, verse 32 to 34, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. He liberates us in Romans chapter 8, verse 2. Believers are born of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. He molds our character in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, where we read about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, uh, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's that passage right there. And he calls and commissions us. He's the one that sets the believer aside to do the works of service that uh, God has uh, called us to do. The pastor's role is to equip you to do the works of service that God has ordained you to do. But he calls and commissions, and that's Acts 13, verse 24, and Acts 20, verse 28. Uh, he produces fruit. And of course, we just talked about that, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. He cleanses in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, and 1 Peter chapter 1, 12. He convicts of sin. He raises the dead. He creates. He was involved in creation. Chapter uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. And Job chapter 33, verse 34. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a PDF of these, and you can go and you can check them out. And this will be what we are covering last week and what we are covering today. And I'll put this in a PDF and then leave the link for you on the bottom part of this podcast, on the, in the summary of the podcast, so that you can have that. And you can use that so you can check the scriptures and you can uh, check those. And if you find one that might be misreferenced or you might find one that might be a typo, please let me know. You can email me at roblundberg315 at gmail.com. Now, what I want to do is I want to move to some Trinitarian quotes, and I'll have this also in the study as well. Now, when you deal with the cults, things like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Way International and even the United Pentecostal Church and even a dead cult that isn't so much around, but they are still around, occasionally you'll run into what is called the Christadelphians. They hold to uh, a different kind of Godhead, if you will. And also, when I talk about the Worldwide Church of God, by the way, uh, there you will see an ad that is on social media. I saw it a lot on Instagram, but it is the Worldwide Church of God. It's Tomorrow's World. I want to let you know that it's put forth by the cult known as the Worldwide Church of God, founded by Herbert W. Armstrong. It's from a splinter group. That, and it's not biblical. And you can go to some of their church websites. You can go to the website Tomorrow's World, and they will have their churches. And you can go and look at some of their doctrinal statements. And I got in touch with my friend James Walker from Watchman Fellowship, and uh, he confirmed for me. And apparently, they knew about this, and they were just they were glad that I called them to confirm. 
But folks, these folks deny the Trinity, and some of them even state that the doctrine was not mentioned until the 4th century, until the time of the Council of Nicaea of AD 325. I want to let you know that this council was called by the Emperor Constantine to deal with the error of Arianism, which is what is held by the Jehovah's Witnesses, which was threatening the unity of the Christian church. Now, I'm going to give you some quotes, and I'll have this also in the study as well. But I want to let you know that one of the disciples of the Apostle John was Polycarp, and, there was, and Polycarp's disciple was Papias. Okay, but Polycarp, who's, who dates from A.D. 70, so he is writing right around the time that maybe John wrote, or just after John wrote, or John was still writing his gospel, his letters in the Revelation. So, nevertheless, he says this, and this is found in um, his, his work here. It says this, O Lord God Almighty, I bless you and glorify you through the eternal and heavenly high priest, Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, through whom be glory to you. With him and, guess who? The Holy Spirit, both now and forever. Justin Martyr, right around A.D. 100-165, he was a Christian apologist. Polycarp was the bishop at Smyrna and a disciple of the Apostle John. But Justin Martyr, the, the, the apologist and martyr, he says this, For in the name of God and Father and the Lord of the universe and our Savior Jesus Christ and of the Holy Spirit, they then received the washing with water. This is his first apology, and it's in chapter uh, or section 61. You also have Ignatius of Antioch. He was the bishop of Antioch, and he wrote much in the defense of Christianity. He, he says this, In Christ Jesus our Lord, by whom and with whom and be whom all glory and power to the Father with the Holy Spirit forever. Also, um, he says this, uh, in the Antinocene Church Fathers, we read that we have also, as the physician of our Lord God and Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son and Word, before time began, who afterwards became also man of the Virgin Mary, for the Word was made flesh, being incorporeal, meaning physical, and he was also in the body, being impassable, and he was in a passable body, being immortal. He was in a mortal body, being life, and he became subject to, subject to corruption, that he might free our souls from death and corruption, and heal him, and heal them, and might restore them to health when he, they were diseased with ungodliness and wicked lusts. This is in the Antinocene Fathers, Alexander Roberts, James Donaldson with the editors. This is in uh, written in 1975 or compiled in 1975 and it is also in uh, uh, an external non-canonical uh, uh, gospel uh, or non-canonical writing, Ephesians 7. You also have uh, Irenaeus in A.D. 115 and 190, as a boy, he listened to Polycarp. He was a disciple of John. He became bishop of Lyon. He wrote in his Against Heresies, he says, The church, though dispersed throughout the world, even the ends of the earth, has received from the apostles and the disciples of this faith one God, 
the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are in them, and in one Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who became incarnate for our salvation and the Holy Spirit, who proclaimed through the prophets the dispensations of God and the advents and the birth from a virgin and the passion and the resurrection from the dead and the ascension into heaven and the flesh of the beloved Christ Jesus our Lord and his manifestation from heaven and the glory of the Father to gather all things in one and raise up anew all flesh of the whole human race in order that to Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus as he words it, our Lord and God and Savior and King, according to the will of the invisible Father, every knee should bow of things in heaven and on earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess to him that Jesus, that he should ex- execute judgment toward all. This is in against heresies. Now, where did Irenaeus get this? Where did he get that every tongue confess, every knee will bow, every tongue confess? He got it from the Apostle Paul. So these guys read, heard, were living around this time. And folks, this is early Christianity. This is orthodox, meaning orthodox, not the denomination or abomination, however you want to look at it, but it is orthodox Christianity. Well, my time is up for what I go and put the scope on this. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to put this together into a PDF. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to provide this link to you. I'll have it linked to my uh, Google uh, Drive, and it'll be a free link to anybody that clicks on there, and I'll make it totally available to them so that you have them. If you're a pastor and listening to our show, God bless you. You are the gatekeepers of the church. I want to let you know that as a minister of the gospel, as somebody who is a defender of the faith in our post-truth culture, I, I want to come alongside you and be help you be the pastor that you can be even stronger to help you equip the body of believers. Folks, we live in very difficult times, and they're becoming more and more difficult as we go. So I want to be not the gatekeeper. I want to be the vanguard. I want to be the Aaron and her. I want to be the Aaron and her that held up Moses' arms. And that's what our ministry is about. We don't want to do this by force. We want to come alongside and be a resource for you as you serve the Lord and under the God-given responsibility to be the, the under-shepherd of the church. I want to let you know that I love the church. I want to let you know that I, I really appreciate the hard work that pastors do. And I want to let you know that we need to hold to sound doctrine. And with sound doctrine, people will grow, people will learn how to defend their faith, not just through the Bible, but also through the discipline of Christian apologetics. And that's not anything to be guarded against or be away from. But I'll tell you, it is definitely needed today. 30% of the people sitting in pews today, according to uh, one of the surveys out there, uh, they are going and wondering whether or not the pastor in the pulpit actually believes what he's preaching and and whether or not he can defend it. Also, there are people walking away from their faith. We've seen popular people walking away. And I'm going to be addressing those things maybe later on in another show uh, as we go through this. Like I said, we st- we were going we to start from the basics. 
and we're going to move forward in this. But we started from the cults and how to identify a cult. We talked last week about the Trinity. I wrapped up this one. I may do something with regards to the Old Testament and the Trinity. So stay tuned for that. If you have any questions, please let us know. You can email me at roblundberg315 at gmail.com. You know, as you go out this week, and of course I know that, that there are some things that are happening in our culture, but God's going to put people in your pathway. And I want you to know that the Holy Spirit resides in you if you're a blood-bought believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I also want to let you know that He's empowered you and equipped you with the words that He wants you to say to people. So be like a German shepherd. Have your ears ready for a spiritual conversation. Be bold as a lion, gentle as a lamb, but at the same time be loving and understand that whether or not a person agrees or disagrees with you, that person is created in the image and likeness of God. And God desires to save those folks. But at the same time, there's the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Let's understand this right out of the gate. But as you go, Go out, be his ambassadors, because we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 5.27. I believe that's it, 5.27, Anyways, it's in 2 Corinthians, and it's chapter 5, that I do know. So, as you go out, go out, be his ambassador. Don't be contentious. Do not be a contentious jerk. But we are called by Jude to contend for the faith. We are called by Peter to give a reason for the hope that we have with gentleness and respect. And I know I'm going a little bit longer than the 27 minutes or 26 minutes, but I'm wrapping this up. I just want to give you that word of encouragement. Keep us in prayer this week as the debate that I was supposed to have yesterday has actually been rescheduled to... Uh, occur uh, October 30th, that's next Saturday, at 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. If you're living, listening to us across the pond, that will be 8 o'clock your time. That is uh, set for him. It's going to be live on the Proselytize or Apostatize podcast, and it will be on live on YouTube, and we'll also have it on uh, some Discord channels and stuff for some of my colleagues and friends that are on there. Uh, and that, that we're hoping that this touches the world. Because the topic of this debate is going to be Krishna or Jesus. Which one is superior? I will be defending the superior uh, superiority of Jesus over Krishna. My opponent is Pyrtor Wierzebicki. So uh, pray for Pyrtor. We're going to be sharing the gospel with Pyrtor as well. And hopefully uh, he will uh, be led by the Holy Spirit to abandon his... Uh, view of a false deity. Nevertheless, we'll be talking about that a little bit more, and I may have a, a summation of the debate on next week's podcast as well. So until next week, this is Rob Lundberg from the Let's Get Real podcast. If you have any questions, email us at roblundberg315 at gmail.com. But until next week, go out and give them heaven, and we'll be back with you next week. Lord bless. <laughs>